The day that this episode comes out is a really important one for me. September 15th, 2017. Our Cassini spacecraft is diving into Saturn, burning up in the atmosphere like a meteorite. It is very close to 20 years since Cassini launched. And the Cassini spacecraft is on its way to Saturn. And for the last 15, it's been out at Saturn, making so many discoveries, giving us new ideas about where life might exist in the solar system. But today, it's plummeting through the atmosphere of Saturn, burning up like a meteorite. At NASA, we've been calling it the Viking funeral, going off in a complete blaze of glory. Meanwhile, back on Earth, NASA scientists are planning another flight. Like the ancient Mayans and Greeks, they're actually imagining a journey to the sun. I'm Michelle Fallon, and this is Orbital Path, a show about the cosmos and our place in it. Everything is controlled in one way or another by the sun. That's Nikki Vile. She's a heliophysicist working on NASA's Parker Solar Probe. The probe is scheduled to launch next year and will be our first ever journey to the star at the center of our solar system. That's unless you count the Greek myth of Icarus, who flew too close to the sun and fell into the sea. NASA's spacecraft, of course, isn't made of wax and bird feathers. But there's something really ancient and primal about the urge to get closer to the sun. And for NASA scientists, it's a chance to explain some of the mysteries about the star that is truly the center of our lives. I met up with Nikki to talk about the mission. It was a beautiful morning, and so we started talking outside, in the sunlight. In the sun right now, it feels very warm. You can feel the energy from the sun. Um, And in fact, it's the basis for life. These plants over here, uh, you can see the sunlight bouncing off of the leaves. And that's, of course, how they generate their own food. There's a cactus here. You know, the the thing that amazes me, I mean, this is something I don't think people have stopped and and thought about much. There's something up in the sky there. And and that object is 93 million miles away. Yeah. And I am now taking off my sunglasses and I'm just turning my face up to the sky and you can feel where it is, right? Yeah. I can feel that that part of the sky feels different. I can feel that heat on my face from something 93 million miles away. That light that's hitting you is eight minutes old because it took eight minutes for that light to travel from the sun here because that's how far away it is. That's impressive. You can feel on your skin something that's 93 million miles yeah. away. A lot of people seem to think the sun is on fire. I've heard that a lot, right? It's not really the right way to think about it. No, it's fusion is what's going on. Particles slamming together and releasing energy. Um, you can sort of think of it as a ball of gas. Plasma is the correct term, but gas is a good way to think of it. And you use the word plasma. What is a plasma? What does that mean? Plasma... The way that uh, we're usually familiar with atoms here on Earth is that the electrons and the protons are bound together. Uh, But in a plasma, they're not. There's so much energy that the electrons and the protons are stripped apart and they're no longer together. And that means that all of a sudden the gas has an electric charge to it. That's right. And that's really important for the way the sun works. It is because the sun has a lot of magnetic fields, a lot of magnetic energy. And those charged particles like to go along magnetic field lines. So in other words, they trace out the magnetic field. So people have seen these pictures of these beautiful solar prominences, these big loops coming off the sun. Exactly, yeah. It's because of those charged particles. They, they're trapped on those magnetic field lines. And whatever structure the magnetic field line has, that's what the plasma has to do. 
So you're a scientist. You study the sun as your career. You know, it's one of these things where people think that scientists aren't human beings. That you know, you, you, How can you appreciate a sunset if you know why the sky turns different colors? Tell me some of the ways that you started. Were you curious about the sun as a kid? I just always wanted to understand planets, the sun, astronomy, galaxies, stars. I want to, I want to understand everything. I think uh, if you talk to a child, they want to know everything. People are naturally scientists, and I think all of us have a scientist inside of us. I know you've got two children. One's, one's in kindergarten. You said That's just starting right. kindergarten, yeah. and, and the other one is two years old. Have you, have they asked questions about the sun? Oh, or? all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and we bring them. Uh, we brought them to the total solar eclipse, and my two-year-old daughter cried because it was such. It's such a visceral. I mean, she was scared. I think because it was all of a sudden nighttime in the middle of the day, that's how it feels. Um, my older one, the five-year-old, he definitely noticed the things like it's getting colder now and it's getting darker now, and he thought it was really amazing. So your two-year-old daughter was not the only one crying at the eclipse. <laughs> I, I, every single eclipse I see, I've seen three now, I start to tear up. Yeah. It, it, it's so emotional. Uh, people don't understand who haven't seen one, just how much it affects you. Yeah. So I, I actually made a recording of my reactions during the eclipse. So this, this, I, I, I'm totally with your two-year-old right yes. here. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna cry. It's a visceral reaction. Less than a minute. Oh my God! Here comes the shadow. Oh, it's getting so dark. It's the middle of the day. The sun is a tiny little sliver. Look, it's going. Oh, you're looking at the shadow. <laughs> you can choose to look at the uh, the sun, or in the opposite direction, you'll see this dark shadow moving at 2,000 miles an hour. Here we go. The sky is going dark. We're almost there, diamond ring, diamond ring, diamond ring. A tiny little bit of the sun is still showing. Diamond ring. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's Venus. A good oh, and there's Venus. There's Venus. Yep. And Mars is very close. Yes, I can see Mars right up close. Yeah, it might be Jupiter. Jupiter yeah, somewhere. Jupiter's there. Jupiter is somewhere <gasps> up there. Oh, I, I, we, we're just going to be quiet. Oh, yes. my God. Oh, it's amazing. It, it just, there's nothing like it. The sky is dark and the sun isn't there. And there are these beautiful streamers of light coming out around the sun. How, how did you feel during the eclipse this time? It was just, I just sort of stood there for three minutes taking it all in and watching it and it's sort of unbelievable that this is really happening and you can all totally understand why ancient cultures were completely blown away and mesmerized and terrified of this event you know it feels like it must be the end of the world if you didn't know what was going on so just like you said, people have been observing the sun, you know, we've been, we've been worshiping the sun actually, you know, for a lot of human existence, but we've never sent something very close to the sun. I mean, we've, we certainly have satellites that are, that are mainly here around Earth. Some of them are a little closer to the sun, but this is something really different. We're actually sending a mission to the sun. It's very exciting. <laughs> Parker Solar Probe is going to fly through the atmosphere of the sun. It's going to get closer than anything we've ever done before. We usually look at the sun with images images taken in different wavelengths, even wavelengths that we can't see with our eye. There's a lot of information there, global structure, things like that. But there's a lot of things that you have to infer indirectly. Whereas when you can actually stick a thermometer <laughs> in the atmosphere of the sun and say, this is what the temperature is, this is what the plasma looks like, that's what we get to do with Parker Solar Probe. 
After a few minutes in the sunlight, Nikki and I decided to go up to her office at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland. Nikki's office is incredibly colorful because there are printouts taped up all over the walls, printouts of her data, her observations. Most of them are in false color because usually she studies wavelengths the eye can't see. So you assign colors to bring out the details of the sun. And when you put them all together, there's almost an impression like a Van Gogh painting. This is a project that I've been working on where we're looking at actually um, remote images of the sun in ultraviolet, and we compare how the plasma evolves in temperature. And by doing that, we can learn how heat is released, how energy is released in the atmosphere of the sun, the solar corona. Mm -hmm. These are also quite beautiful. I mean, th these, are, these are active regions on the sun where yeah. the, that hot gas is following these magnetic fields, and the magnetic fields are incredibly twisted and chaotic and complex. So what are some of the things specifically you're looking forward to? How are you going to use this data? How does it affect your personal research? I am so excited to actually fly with these instruments that measure the temperature exactly where you are at that point at that time versus these images. The images are really important and they give us nice global context. And we've taken in-situ data once that plasma comes to the earth, but it's four days old by the time that plasma gets here to the Earth. It takes a long time to get here. So to be able to measure that plasma directly right after it's been heated, to actually get very precise information of exactly what's going on by flying through it, it's just going to open up whole worlds that we haven't even thought of. So it's cool to know how many particles are hitting us. It's cool to know what the exact temperature is. But really, we're going at larger mysteries, right? There, there, there are basic things about the sun we don't understand. That's right. So this solar corona is what we call the solar atmosphere. And it's very hot. It's a million degrees. We don't quite understand why it's so hot, because the photosphere, the surface, the visible surface of the sun, is only 6,000 degrees. So why is it? that it's a million degrees as you go away from the photosphere. Why is it that it gets orders of magnitude hotter? That would be like if as you walked away from a fireplace, it got much, much hotter, where in fact, if you're trying to warm up, you get closer to the fireplace. In this case, you're walking away from the fireplace and all of a sudden it's a million degrees. Right. <laughs> you're burned to a crisp. Right. <laughs> what? So that's crazy. Um, we know that it's the magnetic field. All of this magnetic field that's in the sun, it's constantly getting stirred up because of motions inside the sun. And that magnetic energy is released through waves, through explosions. But we don't know how those explosions take place, and we don't know exactly when they're going to take place. And in fact, some of the explosions are so big that they can cause what we call space weather events. Those can impact the Earth in pretty severe ways, such as frying our satellites. They can impact our power lines. They can um, cause beautiful things like the northern lights. We've been looking at the sun to understand this problem of why the solar corona, the solar atmosphere, is so hot. And a related problem is, how is the solar wind formed? Because we know once you have that hot corona, it isn't gravitationally bound to the sun anymore. It must expand and fill the solar system. And it becomes supersonic. It becomes very, very fast. The radiation that the sun makes impacts the upper atmosphere of the Earth, a layer of the Earth that's ionized. 
in fact, it's plasma too. And that's important because that's where our radio waves propagate. This is actually a, a wonderful thing that I don't think people are aware of, that there's this whole space environment that we're in. Mm -hmm. I think people think, okay, well, we've got the atmosphere, then you're in space, and space is empty. That's what everybody thinks. But instead, we're in this wonderful relationship with the sun. I mean, right. you know, I mean, we're, we're interacting with it all the time, right? That's right. And it's not just a one-step deal either. There's multiple steps along the way, depending on what kind of interaction. So, so how close is this probe going to get to the sun? If you measure it in terms of the diameter of the sun, within five diameters of the sun. So that's very, very close. And what are the conditions like there? What, what sort of things is this probe going to have to deal with? It's very hot. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we're close to the sun. But there's a lot of radiation, of course, because just think about the radiation that we felt when we were outside on our skin. That radiation is much, much stronger when you're so close to the sun. And then there's also lots of energetic particles. Some of those get extra energy because of magnetic explosions. And that extra energy makes them super energetic, almost close to the speed of light. So this probe doesn't only have to handle the heat of being near the sun, but this intense radiation and mm -hmm. even these super powered particles slamming into it. Yep. How, how's that gonna work? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the idea of a solar probe has been around for, I think, over 50 years. I mean, it's before NASA was an agency, people had been thinking about doing solar probes. It's kind of an obvious idea that, you know, you want to get close to sample what the conditions are really like. I mean, that makes sense. Exactly. It's just that we couldn't do it, could we? It was a, it's a huge engineering feat. There's a giant heat shield on the front of the spacecraft that protects all of the instruments from that environment. So tell me a bit more about this heat shield. How hot can it get? So it's a four and a half inch thick carbon composite heat shield. They're planning to withstand temperatures of 2,500 Fahrenheit. And that was actually tested here at Goddard Space Flight Center. It was. We have these giant chambers that simulate the environment that the spacecraft is actually going to experience when it's out in space. And they can make it be really hot. They can make the vibrations like it's going to experience on launch. And they want to test all of those different environments that the spacecraft experiences on its way to the sun. That makes a lot of sense. It's got to get there safe. It's yeah. got to survive. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things that kind of amazes people is that there are basic things about the sun we don't really understand yet. You know, we, we need more information. It's like the sun is right there. Come on. I mean, what, what, what don't you know about the sun? But the idea that we don't even really understand how the atmosphere works. You know, I, I am an astrophysicist. I study stars that are very far away, you know, hundreds or thousands of light years away. And all of our models of how these things work, you know, we, we get data from them. We say, okay, that's, well, that must be sort of like the sun, but it's a little bit different because it's hotter or it's a little more massive or it's spinning faster. But our understanding of the stars kind of assumes we know what's going on with the sun. <laughs> and we know a lot about the sun, but there's also a lot we still don't quite understand. Pretty important in our technological age are these questions like the magnetic explosions, because now that we have all of these satellites and we have power grids, it is really important to understand when those magnetic explosions are gonna take place and how they affect us here on Earth. I think, you know, so you are a heliophysicist. You're, you're a physicist that studies the sun. 
And when you think about our understanding of the rest of the universe, you know, we were talking a bit about you got to start with the sun. You know, that's, th- right. that's our best example of a star. Yeah. That's our star. Yeah. We were saying the sun is basic to us, right? Yep. It, it yep. is absolutely basic, absolutely primal. And, you know, it's it's what it's the warmth you feel on your face, but also as as you look out into the universe, we're not going to understand what's going on if we don't start with the sun. That's right. It's life here on earth is from the sun, and if you want to understand things about other stellar systems, you have to understand the sun. That's Nikki Vile. She's a heliophysicist, a scientist who studies the sun. And she's working on NASA's new mission to the sun, the Parker Solar Probe. When you think about the fact that everything that you are, you know, the very tissues of your body, the energy that's coursing through your brain right now, all of that originally came from the sun. We are very literally children of that star. For the first time in history, after all of those dreams of ancient peoples, we're going to be sending an envoy, a spacecraft, back to say hello to our true primal parent, the sun. Thanks for listening in on this episode of Orbital Path from PRX. We'd love for you to check out more of our shows at orbital.prx.org. If, like me, you're thinking this week about the end of Cassini's spectacular journey through our solar system, I'd especially point you to episode 18, Cassini Countdown. Support for Orbital Path is provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More at sloan.org. This episode of Orbital Path was produced by David Schulman. Our editor is Andrea Mustaine. Special thanks to John Barth and Genevieve Sponsler, still wearing their eclipse glasses, back on Planet PRX. Signing off for now, I'm Michelle Fowler, a little bit of dead stardust. Stardust.